In today's competitive e-commerce environment, it's never been more important to earn and maintain the trust of your customers. Merchant Fraud Journal's To Catch a Fraudster podcast is supported by SIFT, the leader in digital trust and safety. SIFT empowers companies to stop fraud and grow without risk. Visit sift.com assessment to schedule a consultation with SIFT's trust and safety architects. Industry experts who have decades of fraud fighting experience at companies like Facebook, Square, and Google. They'll help create a custom plan for your business with an emphasis on technology, organizational structure, and process. Visit sift.com slash assessment today. And we're live. Megan, thank you so much for joining us. Absolutely. My pleasure. So we're going to be doing something a little bit different this episode. Megan is a fraud prevention specialist, and she is going to take us through first this crazy new LinkedIn fraud scam that she got targeted with, and I think kind of almost fell for a little bit. And then we're also going to get into more of what it's like to be in that community right now. I know many of you out there listening are in that community and Megan is currently looking for work. And so she's going to take us through her experiences and also give us some insight into what that, what that looks like uh, in, in our, our day and age here. So Megan, start off, uh, tell us who you are, um, where you're from, and then we'll take it from there. Thank you again for having me today. I really appreciate the opportunity to share my experience. Um, I'm currently a fraud professional looking for work. Um, I am actively searching for work on a few different websites, but as we know, LinkedIn is the best platform for networking. It's the best opportunity for people to find like-minded professionals and to reach out to recruiters as well. Um, during my time on LinkedIn, I have been reached out to from recruiters. Um, and as I am actively looking for work, I do respond and take the opportunity to have conversations with anybody who um, is willing to network and provide opportunities that may turn into a, a role for me with the company. Um, so this recruiter, um, in air quotes, was it was an interesting conversation. Um, it started out very normal, and he had mentioned some different opportunities that he was recruiting for. And he provided um, some basic information about the company, you know, the generic job description. And then he asked for my email address because he wanted to have me fill out a questionnaire. Um, so I looked at my email after he sent the questionnaire to me and it had some of the basic questions, um, you know, name, email address, resume, um, starting salary and things like that. Um, but some of the other questions started to make my fraud bells start ringing, which were a picture of your driver's license, um, your social security number and passport number. Um, so I want you to take me through before we even start to go down that rabbit hole, how did this person just reach out to you on the cold LinkedIn, which is how we met by the way. So for those of you listening, it was a cold LinkedIn message. So they do work. I always tell people they do work. Um, 
take me through what that was, what that initial contact looked like. Absolutely. So I'm an opportunist. And like I was saying, I will network and communicate with recruiters who do reach out to me um, via my LinkedIn um, in mail. But it was a normal message conversation where he reached out and said, hi, my name is and I am recruiting uh, for a position, a fraud analyst position. Um, This position is a 12 month contract. Um, based in New Jersey for a large corporation. Um, it, it had it in the job description, the fraud analyst is a professional detective who investigates forgery and theft within a customer's account. Um, they collaborate with corporate security. They work with insurance agencies, healthcare organizations, banks, and payment solution providers. And then thanks, kind regards. And so I reached out and... Um, let him know that I was interested in the opportunity. And I sent him my resume and he said, I sent you an email, please respond to it and let me know your salary rate and what you're looking for. Um, so that's kind of when we got into the email portion um, where he sent me the questionnaire via email and was starting to ask the questions that were um, pertaining to NPI that nobody would normally give out. Right. So I want to, I want to ask you in parallel as we're going through this story from a fraud specialist perspective, this seems to me to be a classic case of somebody who is looking to prey on people that are vulnerable. Somebody who's looking for work, somebody who is taking a lot of, of time. So maybe a little tired um, is looking for an opportunity. Take me through that whole mindset from from your perspective as a fraud professional, when you're seeing these types of scams, how do you how do you recommend that people kind of keep their defenses up here? You you mentioned a little bit that some of the things that were being asked for seemed a little bit odd, but in general, what are your strategies as a fraud prevention specialist for detecting these types of of uh, entry attacks where vulnerable people are the target? You know, it's funny that you used um, that phrase, preying on vulnerable people, um, because I wrote down a few things before um, we were scheduled to meet. And that was one thing that I had had written down was this type of scam is preying on a major vulnerability, which is people who are facing hard economic times, joblessness. You know, it's it's very scary when you are unemployed and seeking um, new opportunities and you may not have the funds to tide you over um, until you find that new position. I'm a single mother of two children. um, So without this training that I've had over my years in fraud, I may have fell for the scam. Um, But basically my advice is if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. I knew that something was off when we were discussing. So I gave him a very high figure um, for a salary. And he was like, oh, sure, that's fine. That sounds great. Completely indifferent to the amount and had no problems with the highball number that I gave him. I also happened to look up the job description. Um, It was a copy and paste from a website on Google. Um, So jobs and resume examples.com. And just knowing that a recruiter won't ask you for 
that kind of personal information until you're filling out tax forms and um, your information for actually applying for the job and getting prepared to start that role instead of in the recruiting process. They don't need to have access to any of that information, even your date of birth. All of that is considered NPI and it shouldn't be given out um, just on a, a random basis. And so he reaches out and you kind of flag this as seeming like fraud. And you said you kind of played along with it a little bit, uh, just for morbid curiosity, I guess, to see where it would go and maybe learn along the way for your, for your own professional use. Take me through what happened next. Absolutely. So I think I sort of played along. It was more so because I wanted to know um, what type of tactics he would use so I could alert my network and that if somebody like this was preying on somebody that had fraud investigator in their LinkedIn profile and resume, that they were willing to target anybody. Um, But basically, I just acted like I was interested in the opportunity I filled out most of the information on the questionnaire, and then I stated that I wasn't comfortable providing um, some of that personal information at this time um, until I received a a job offer. And the individual stated that they would uh, pass on the information that I provided to the hiring manager, um, and they would be in contact with me. So I waited a few days and I didn't hear anything. So I reached back out and um, they said that they'll follow up with the hiring manager and we could go from there. Um, A couple of days later, um, the individual actually reached out to me again and stated that um, the hiring manager was interested in me without an interview and they would love to have me fill out some information um, so I can start working next week. Um, So So... I want to, I want to ask a question here. Do you think that this playbook is kind of making for different eventualities or do you think that they just decided to do this on the fly because you had kind of thrown them a curveball, but then reached back out? You know, I'm not so sure. I think that they probably are prepared for different outcomes, different responses. Um, I think their goal is to make people feel comfortable. Um, But after digging around, I did see that both of the organizations that this individual claimed to be working for and with um, have fraud alerts on their website stating that it's a recruiting scams going on to not give personal information out. Um, If you see an email that is similar, but not exactly the format of the email to reach out to the security department of these companies. Um, So I think it's a very large scam that is or has been going on for quite some time, Um, but maybe just coming to the forefront now because of, you know, recent job insecurity and layoffs and things of that nature. Yeah, I really, what really upset me about this particular scam is, like you said, economic vulnerability is a very real issue. And it, it's also just very frustrating how quickly these people spring into action. Because even, I think, three months ago, we were still in the everything's going great phase. And it's kind of turned in the last three months or so. And it it doesn't take any time at all, really, for these people to just set up and start 
activating these types of scams. And so I'm curious from your perspective as a, a fraud professional, how do you go about detecting these things when you're working at a company or if you're an individual where you, you just, it's so fast. I don't know how else to put it. How are you anticipating these types of things? Can you, is there anything you can do in general, or do you just have to be alert to kind of what's going on around you? And there's really no way to, to anticipate. I think different um, methods can be put in place to protect yourself. Um, you can place fraud alerts on your credit report uh, proactively um, to protect yourself. Also, just knowing that your personal information is personal information for a reason, not providing that information outside um, of absolute necessary use. Um, making sure to secure that info is the most important thing. As far as preemptive, you know, fraud is always catching up to the bad guys. You know, when we put tape on one hole, they come through a different way. It just really depends on you being vigilant. And like you mentioned, talking about how it's, it's heartbreaking because after I posted um, my LinkedIn post about how it had affected me, I had countless people in my inbox stating that this had happened to them and they had given out their social security number and what they could do and how they could prevent this um, from, you know, ruining their credit and the, the generic advice, but the sound advice is contact the credit bureaus, um, go to identitytheft.gov, um, report any documents that you may have provided unwittingly as stolen, um, whether it's your driver's license to the DMV, social, social security card um, to the Social Security Administration, um, and just making sure that you're keeping an eye on your credit and monitoring that information if you do fall for these scams. Um, but the best thing to do is not provide any information um, preemptively. You don't want them to get a hold of that information in the first place. So keeping it out of their hands is the goal. So until you have that job offer and you're filling out your paperwork for employment, nobody needs that information. And even then, it's normally through an automated system to protect your information as well. Yeah. So anyone out there listening that's also looking for work right now, please protect yourself. It is so easy to get caught up in your emotions when you're doing these types of things. And I think you said it best, Megan, if it sounds too good to be true, then it probably is. And just try to act deliberately, even though it's difficult when people are making these kind of offers to you, just try to keep your head about your wits about you and be aware before you act, I think is, is the, the main takeaway. Um, so I, I want to shift gears here. Megan, and I want to talk to you about your experiences and your job search right now. What is it, what is it like? Um, I think most people have experienced bouts of unemployment. It's obviously very frustrating, very dejecting, very terrifying, all, all the things that I'm sure you're feeling. But take me through it from a fraud perspective. What are you doing to look for work? Where, where are you looking for resources? Can you share some of the experiences that you've had without mentioning company names, of course, but um, 
anything that you want to share about what's going on right now in your job search? Absolutely. Um, I'm fortunate and I have only been searching for work for just about a month. I took some time off to travel with my family um, and I was prepared since I was in a contracting role. But the job search these days is definitely tedious. Um, A lot of times you're doing calls with recruiters and then three, four, five, six, even seven interviews with companies. Um, You're reaching out sometimes, not getting any responses back. And I'm sure recruiters are feeling that on their end as well. Um, I think that with a lot of the layoffs happening that, you know, there's a lot of great talent out there and now there's not enough roles. Um, And the processes are really focusing on specific um, skills and, experiences and may not be as open to how your experience from one role will transition into a a different role. Um, For example, the fraud industry going from financial fraud to healthcare fraud. A lot of times recruiters are looking for healthcare fraud to healthcare fraud and so on and so forth. Um, For me right now, I'm focusing on studying for my CFE getting some additional credentials under my belt, um, actively interviewing with a few uh, wonderful companies. Um, I've had great opportunities and experiences with my interviewing process thus far. Um, can you take a- us through, yeah, can you take us through some of the interviews that you've done? Uh, with specific companies or the process? Um, both. I mean, I guess you could talk about the process, but then I'd love to hear some of your war stories. Well, I don't want to say too much because I'm going um, through some active interviews with companies, Um, but I did have a really great interview um, with a company based in New York. Um, The one unfortunate thing about this company was, I guess they didn't check to see where I was based at, Um, but I'm based in a state that is not on their payroll. So after a couple interviews, um, they had decided to pursue other candidates. And it was because they did not have payroll in my state. Um, So that was heartbreaking, but it definitely did prepare me for um, questions that I need to ask ahead of time and uh, preparing me for some of the interviews that I've done recently. So can you take me through maybe some of the questions, some of the, the, the ways that you're being evaluated when you speak to these companies? Absolutely. Most of it is conversational um, and behavioral. So tell me about a time when you had a challenging project and you had stakeholders that didn't agree with the decision. How did you handle that? Or um, as a fraud investigator, where do your strengths lie? Where do your weaknesses lie? Or what is a project that you've worked on that you're proud of or explain the types of fraud that you've experienced and how you mitigated those risks, um, different types of process improvement and process management and the case studies, tons of case studies. So, so. it sounds like, it sounds like people are placing an emphasis, not just on kind of your fraud fighting ability, so to speak, but also your experiences working internally in an organization and, and with yes. teams. Yes. It seems to be a big um, factor is how you work 
with other people um, and just how you solve problems. I think that's very important. And just having different examples for the typical interviewing questions is great. Um, another big thing is, like I mentioned a few minutes ago, is the case studies. A lot of companies are either having a recruiter call and then sending you a case study or having an interview and then sending you a case study. And this could be like a writing prompt. It could be solving a problem based on some fraud uh, scenario. Um, for example, I had a really interesting one that was using this company's product um, kind of go through how you would defraud them. And it was a very challenging prompt. It was extremely interesting and it took a lot of time to work on. And fortunately, you know, I do have an interview, a final interview with this company. So I'm very excited about that, but it is very challenging out here um, doing these different scenarios and case studies and writing prompts on top of recruiter calls and actively interviewing some days, like my schedule is full of just phone calls and interviews um, because you have to really put yourself out there in order to, to come up on top. So. Right. so take me through your approach to these types of problems. For people who are out there listening or, who are maybe in, in a similar same position, what's your personal strategy for trying to successfully answer these types of questions? Well, the first thing I would say is be comfortable and be yourself in your answer. So glean from your own experience. So I take everything, even if it's a hypothetical, it's based on something that I have experience in, whether it was my time um, investigating financial fraud or as an analyst for a fintech company, I take my personal experiences and I expand on them and I try to have the interviewer see my perspective and have them understand the process fully versus just giving up a, a very generic answer. Um, a method that I've heard of is like the star method. And it's just sort of a way to explain um, the situation, um, the technical procedures and stuff, and then um, the action that you took and then the result. So that was a very generic um, anagram, but it is, or acronym, sorry. Um, it's a very generic acronym, but it's very helpful as a, a situation action result. And that was really helpful for me. So you mentioned that you've had multiple interviews with, with, the, with the same company. I think you said even as many as six or seven. Can you take me through what you need six interviews for? What, is, what, what should people be preparing themselves for if they're out there right now going through this process? Well, honestly, it depends on the company and it depends on your background. Um, when I'm doing the longer interview processes, it's for roles that are a little bit more technical. So for analyst roles, um, I do have a background in SQL and um, scripting and things of that nature. So some of the interviews are technical, um, but generally speaking, it's a, a recruiter call, which is your technically first interview um, where they see if you're a good fit and they pass on your information to the hiring manager. Then you'll have an interview with either the hiring manager or some 
individuals on the team. Um, often you'll have separate interviews that are targeting um, a certain skill or area of expertise. So like decision-making, critical thinking, your fraud knowledge, um, just different things like that. And they, they expand it into 30 minute interviews. So each interview will have questions that are solely based on decision-making or solely based on critical thinking, um, solely based on your fraud knowledge. Um, so they have you going through essentially a panel of individuals and you're going through that knowledge in a behavioral case study sort of way, how you would handle situations, what your experiences are handling situations, showing how you think critically, showing how you make decisions, how you work well with others, et cetera. So take me through as you're in the middle of this, how are you improving your skills? How are you learning more? Give us some of the resources that you're using, because I'm sure wherever you are, um, you'll have uh, some places that people listening don't know about. So I'm curious to hear what you're doing to improve your, your technical skill set as you're going through this interview process. Well, the big thing that I will always say is networking, networking, networking. I reach out to people daily, just asking questions and getting feedback and insight um, for fraud knowledge and experience. Anytime I have an interview um, or a recruiter call that doesn't result in a follow-up, I ask for feedback. Um, sometimes I get it. Sometimes I don't. Um, figuring out where I'm lacking and in what the company is looking for um, is very helpful, knowing what areas I need to improve in, whether it's experience within a certain type of fraud or if it's lacking in a certain area, I, I wanna know that information. Um, so sometimes it's out of your control though. So that's another thing I would like people to know is don't let yourself get discouraged. Um, often companies do have a specific thing that they're looking for. And even though your skills and experience may translate very well into that role, um, they have a one track mindset and that's not a reflection of you. Um, and I think that has been a, a huge breakthrough for me when I feel discouraged is knowing that I'm confident in my abilities as a fraud professional and I know my background. Um, and being confident has helped me continue trekking through the job hunt. So I also, I'm also curious to know what you're doing to improve just from a, a, uh, a general standpoint in terms of how, what resources are you going to? What are you reading? What videos are you looking at? Are you taking any online courses? How are you trying to improve your um, improve your skill set and stand out? Well, currently I am studying to take my CFE with the ACFE, so Certified Fraud Examiner. I'm also going to be taking a Google Analytics course um, to help hone in my SQL skills um, because data is very important to fraud. A lot of people really focus on the investigation aspect, but honing those skills, I'm all self-taught with SQL. So my experience um, definitely can be honed in on with 
some professional training, um, and also reading and podcasts, listening to other fraud professionals' experiences, um, gaining more insight on different areas of fraud, and reading like Practical Fraud Prevention, which is a great book. Um, it's comprehensive guide talking about fraud. So just adding anything I can to my knowledge and my experience is extremely helpful. And it allows me to apply for opportunities that I may not have personal experience in, but I know that my experience would translate well in. Um, that's why that I took my last role. It was a, an industry of fraud that I hadn't had any experience in, but I took the chance because I knew that my fraud investigation experience would translate well into that role. Um, so just putting yourself out there and using whatever resources you have, podcasts, news articles, books, LinkedIn, professionals post amazing content daily. So adding these companies that you're interested in working at, um, following their pages, seeing what they're looking for, what they're working on and what they're excited about is super important. And that gives you an edge when you're talking to hiring managers, knowing about those companies, knowing about the up and coming fraud trends and techniques for prevention and risk mitigation as well. Amazing. So I, I want to ask you one kind of uh, out of left field question here. Tell me what you think makes a great fraud manager and what you think companies out there who are listening to this podcast should be looking for when they're hiring people. Absolutely. So I made it my mission to look for a position with a great leader and then find a great company behind that. So a good fraud manager for me is somebody who is dedicated to the development of their team, making sure that they are focused on growing their team and their fraud knowledge within that team, being knowledgeable and experienced in fraud themselves, and just allowing the people that they hire to do their best work um, without micromanaging or without giving them the opportunity um, to do their best work. That's so important with management positions. I think that giving your employees the space to do what they do best um, allows you to have a team that's thriving. Um, as far as fraud candidates that people should be looking for or companies should be looking for, I would have to say, look for the people who are excited and passionate about fraud, the people who have critical thinking skills and are able to make judgment calls quickly, um, even in areas where their experience isn't as strong as some other candidates. I guarantee that when you hire the most passionate people, the people who are willing to learn, the people who know that they have so much more to learn, even if they've been in fraud for five, 10, 15 years, those are the people that you wanna hire. You want to hire the people that are teachable and passionate. I couldn't agree more. I think that there's not enough of that generally across the board in the world. People are very focused on previous experience. And sometimes I think it's just because, just speaking frankly, 
people are just trying to hit KPIs. You know, there's a mm-hmm. saying in the tech, the tech business, nobody ever got fired for buying Microsoft. So I think a lot of times people get really caught up on, I just have to find someone who has this exact experience because if they don't work out, I can just say, well, they clicked all the boxes. And Mm -hmm. so I did my job and it's not my fault. And, you know, like you said, that doesn't really lead to optimal results because a lot of times you're going to let a lot of really talented people who are really hungry to learn and hungry to succeed and, and ready to go to the mat for your company slip away because you, because they don't have the extra three years of experience that you want them to have, or they were in a different branch of fraud. Like you were saying, they were in financial fraud, but we want medical fraud. Um, so I couldn't agree more. And I, I hope that people will take the, take the, that advice to heart, because I think it's, it's excellent advice. And every time you see a company that's really succeeded, you always hear when they do the Netflix documentary on them or something that Mm. they, their initial hiring phases were enthusiastic, intelligent, Mm -hmm. dedicated people. That was their criteria. Definitely. And, you know, I don't know many fraud professionals who would say when I was 10, I wanted to be a fraud investigator. I think the people who end up investigating fraud fall into this profession and fall in love. And those are the best types of people because they love what they do. They're passionate about it and they're excited. So giving people more opportunities to have access to a career like this, just based on those basic technical and critical thinking skills is an excellent way to get more people into a profession that we need more of. You can never have enough fraud prevention, fraud investigation, fraud analysts, you know, taking care of all of the fraud trends that are constantly evolving. So having that opportunity to bring people in who are passionate and inspired is the only way to go. Well, Megan, um, you, you are definitely that person. So we really appreciate you oh, taking the you. time to answer the cold email and uh, come on, come on the podcast and give us a half hour of your time here to talk about it. We wish you the best of luck. Please let me know uh, how, how people can find you, where they can get in touch with you if they want to talk to you. Um, and thank you so much for being on the program. Absolutely. Well, LinkedIn is my platform. I am always networking on LinkedIn. My name is Megan Harrison Moore, spelled the normal way. Um, But I'm happy to connect and network with anybody. If you want to share my info, feel free to do so. Um, Yeah, we'll have the link to your LinkedIn profile in the the description of the, the podcast. Absolutely. And any opportunity I have to help anybody in fraud, if they have any fraud concerns and have questions and are too embarrassed to, to ask anybody else about it, or just any way I can help, even if it's not a job opportunity, um, I'm happy to help. I love fraud. I love investigating fraud. It's what I'm passionate about. And I'm constantly trying to develop and grow myself as a fraud professional. So being able to help people is you know, the foundation of what I do. So feel free to reach out anytime. Thank you so much, Megan. Really appreciate it. Thank you. All right. Awesome. 
thank you so much for for uh for joining like really 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 appreciate it